Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The headlines are amazing. They're communicating increasingly the requirement and desire for peace. But why is peace so elusive? It seems that men are crying, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. That's exactly what the prophets of old said would be characteristic of our time. Men would cry, peace, peace, but there would be no peace. Well, let's take a look at what's really taking place here. Let's go to the book of Revelation very quickly. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 4, it says, There went out another horse that was red. Remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and they should be given unto him a great sword. Are we there yet, friends? Are we there yet, friends? Well, consider this headline from Israel National News today. Temple Mount Terror from the Religion of Peace. Passover celebrated all throughout Israel this last week as Muslim terror rages on the Temple Mount. Yet George W. Bush told us at the time of the 9-11 attack that Islam was a religion of peace. Then, this headline also from Israel National News today. Arabs riot on the Temple Mount fire explosives at police officers, and this is the Temple Mount where God chose to place his name there in the epicenter of Jerusalem, which is called the City of Peace. Wow, the City of Peace with nothing but terror? Again, Israel National News today. Can we create a culture of peace in the Middle East? And finally, from the Jerusalem Post, Peace and tranquility must remain in the old city. Well, what is the old city? It's the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of peace, which was the city in which Jesus, the Prince of Peace, walked its streets, and yet there is no peace. Why is peace so elusive, my friend? And here's another question. Is peace even personally possible? We've been talking about peace around the world, but it is peace personally possible? Yet again, Jesus made a fascinating statement that is often, well, not very often mentioned. He said, I came to bring, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Oh my goodness. Yet we are told to be peacemakers because the peacemakers will be called the children of God. How are we to make sense of peace? Today on Viewpoint, in pursuit of peace, I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and we have a very noble guest joining us. I say a very noble guest because his very name is Noble, Brian Noble. He has a wonderful book, beautiful book called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking, and we're going to make it available for you in this time of lack of peace. So, Brian, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks for having me on, Chuck. 
Great to be here. Well, when you take a look at what's happening over the world, it makes you wonder what Jesus, in fact, meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, huh? It really does. When you think about our, our lives and the situations we're in, I, I think we must have read the same newspapers this morning, because I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Lord, help us. Yeah, because we are in a we are in a place of an absence of peace all around us externally, right? And all the, and the nations and the world, and it's just, it's amazing the times we're living in. Well, and, and it's true also in personal lives. We received a word from a dear friend of ours that uh, their two sons are filing for divorce or their wives are filing for divorce. That's not exactly a measure of peace in the household, among Christian households. Then again, this very day, uh, my wife and I found ourselves involved in unexpected conflict uh, with a business person who we trusted and still have trust in, but confusion began to reign and take away all of our peace in the process. And so just before <laughs> <I've> been <there. laughs> you've been there, okay, and just before the program came on, an email came across that helped to resolve some of the issues, I sent a responsive email that hopefully, in fact, I expressed hope and blessing to the person, and I said, I think we're on the edge of restoring peace. So uh, <laughs> yeah. we're Good living job. in a Good real job. world, aren't we? We are. We are. We're living in a world where it's a battle zone. I mean, that's what I like to call it. It's a battle zone. Uh-huh. It's an actual battle over our hearts, over our our minds, and it really does come into play those in a practical sense of where our peace lies. Now, I have a question for you, qualifying you as an expert witness here uh, concerning peace. Uh, do you have a family? I do. I have a family, and uh, my oldest son is Isaiah, and he has our grandchild with his wife, so I have a grandchild, mm-hmm. and then I have uh, three other children. Uh, okay. Well, not children. They're, they're you're young adults, 20, 18, and 15. And as they grew up in your home, of course, everything was tranquil. Everything was uh, hunky-dory. Uh, never was an, <laughs> a, a word spoken that was not kind and uh, considerate, right? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have perfect peace in your home? Oh, absolutely. No, we all are. <laughs> you know, at times, we're, we're thinking, uh, you know, like I... I I always I like to say this at times is like don't teach your kids peacemaking because at the time that you're in an argument with your spouse they'll remind you of the book that you wrote <laughs> exactly see it's very dangerous to write books on things like this it is it is and uh, I, you know but you know I think it's that refinement that you know that word sanctification that we don't like to throw around too much but it's mm. that refinement that we have that really brings in that that changed heart that changed life that transformation that we're looking for. And God uses those tensions, those conflicts, to to cause us to understand what peace is and what peace is not. You know, just before we came on the air, I realized there's no peace without conflict. Conflict almost always precedes peace. In fact, if we hadn't had conflict, we we wouldn't know what peace was, would we? That's exactly right. (laughs) And we know that in these last days, we know that lawlessness is going to increase. And as that increases... We also know that that we can have an increase in peace in our hearts because the the, the time draws near, you know, as the Bible likes to say. Yeah. And so it's this this tension that we have between seeing the, the the times that we're living in and still remaining at peace because we know who our God is. Well, a true and faithful hope 
will will bring or should bring peace in our hearts amid all of the consternation and confusion going on in the world. Absolutely. You think right. about the Prince of Peace dwelling inside of us. We have we have the power source. I'll just say that. No, we need to release the power. <laughs> exactly. So the question is, how do we do that? Uh, and so the rest of the program today is not so much analytical as it is transformational. Here on this program, Brian, uh, we are not primarily focused on information, but on transformation, because Jesus never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, didn't he? Amen. All right. So when we get back from this break, friends, transformation is on the way. Daily wisdom for peacemaking, how to become a peacemaker amid all of the cataclysm and consternation going on in our world. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. I have in my hands the most beautifully presented book on peace that I have ever received in 27 years of broadcasting. It's called Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking. It has an engraved cover with the word peace across the top and maker across the bottom. It's a 365-day devotional so that every day we can walk in perfect peace, because we're going to keep our minds stayed upon the Lord. Now, I want to make this book available to you before Brian even talks about it here on the program today. It is a fascinating book, and uh, it's kind of a soft, hardcover type of book. Beautiful, beautiful in its presentation. The kind of book you want to keep on your table, beside your bed, or wherever else you're going to sit down and have a quiet time together. This book is available to you for your gift of $16 to Save America Ministries. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Or you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. If you're writing a check, at $5 for postage and handling, and we'll get the book in your hands. I think you will not be disappointed, and uh, you're, you're just going to want to have it there, even just to pick up uh, from time to time as you're sitting there contemplating, all right, now what do I do? How do I deal with the situations that I'm facing today? Daily wisdom for peacemaking. All right, Brian, I, I would like to know, uh, what actually prompted you to write this book? Well, it, in short, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and, and probably about 15 years ago. By the way, have I you figured out how to do it yet? No, that's that's what I'm just about ready to confess to you. <laughs> All right, because because many a pastor has told me that ministry is wonderful except for the people. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's the problem. It's, it's, it's we're humans, or maybe maybe I should say ministries. You know, 
great except for myself because I think okay. sometimes I could be the problem. <laughs> um, but uh, about 15 years ago, I split a church, and I was like, God, there's got to be a better way. And so I started studying the scriptures of how do you speak truth but do it in love, not be demanding, not be uh-huh. a doormat, you know, and balancing all those tensions. Well, wait a minute, uh, wait a minute. You said you split a church. Does that mean yeah, you were acting like Solomon and said you're going to divide the baby in half? <laughs> All I can say is through poor leadership, uh, half the church didn't show up one day. Um, oh, my goodness. And, and so that really sent me on a journey of how to be a better leader. Well, it certainly didn't I, give you peace at that moment, did it? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It was, mm. it, it was I like to say it was like going through hell on earth at that time. Yeah, point. exactly. You know, it, it, I can feel your pain. Yeah, yeah. So that's oh. what got me involved. Say what? That's what got me involved in wanting to write on peacemaking and, and being a leader on uh, uh-huh. a daily basis, yeah. All right, when the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I guess part of that means that, in effect, we have all been the cause of somebody else's discontent, dis- uh, consternation, and even uh, uh, trouble. Yeah, exactly. And if you back up on that verse, like that's 23. So if you go back up to 17, it says the path of peace they have not known. Mm-hmm. And that's the journey I've been on is how do I know that path of peace? And how do I, how does that interact within my flesh and, and within my parts that's being sanctified by God and transformed by God? How does that all work out in my daily life? Because, and that, and that's where it really came down for me is I, I realized it has to be daily. It can't be just I go to a seminar, put the seminar book on a, shelf and and forget about it i really have to engage with god's word in a way that i think about how how do i know the path of peace that god has has laid out for me well let me give you a little uh, background on myself as well yeah Uh, i spent 20 years as a trial lawyer in california and uh 80 of my client clientele came from the broader body of christ uh my client my uh, practice was a general civil practice. I did about 40% family law, 40% personal injury, and the rest is it was general civil litigation, wills and probate. And so I had an opportunity to be involved with people, uh, not in a high-rise mentality of hyper-specialization, but down where people really live. Right. And uh, what I discovered is that within the broader body of Christ, the underbelly was not pretty. Mm-hmm. There was a lack of peace that was causing a divorce rate, for instance, among professing Christians equal to that as the nation as a whole. And there was very little willingness to really bring peace from God's viewpoint. So God's viewpoint was not really embraced even by his own children. Therefore, right. Lack of peace was most characteristic. And it was very disconcerting to me because here were people that uh, were coming to me as a Christian attorney intending for me to supposedly bring Christian counsel, yet they were persistent in rejecting it. How do you bring peace in a situation like that? Well, I I don't know that there's an easy answer, but I can say this, and I, I just spoke tongue-in-cheek, 
But in God's first counseling session with Cain and Abel, it ended in murder. So anything less than murder, we've done pretty good. How did you uh, have to cut to the chase on something like that so quickly? Well, well, my point is, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I think sometimes people think we have magic fairy dust that we can just wave, wave over them, and mm-hmm. everyone's going to see kumbaya in the corner. So there is no um, spiritual fairy dust. There isn't. There just really isn't. But I will tell you this. At our greatest point of injustice is our greatest opportunity to be like Christ. Okay. And 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 if we have the the, uh, the humble uh, spirit of God in us, we can begin to lay down our rights, and we can begin to serve others like Christ ha- does and has done. And and um and and that's the number one agreement. Have this attitude uh, ingredient. Uh, have this attitude in yourself which is also in Christ Jesus. All right, Ryan, the problem with that is that what you have just said flies in direct conflict with our culture today. It's all about it my rights, my rights, my rights. Almost no talk about my responsibilities. It is exactly true. I, I just left uh, speaking at like a, a retreat for, for young people, and we went through the book of Habakkuk. Mm. And, and, you know, as we went through that book, what you're talking about is my rights and my responsibilities. It's all throughout that whole entire book, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Habakkuk's like, what? You're gonna you're gonna use bad people to discipline your people, and and he's going back and forth between God and him in that in that Old Testament book, right? And and it's interesting because I think we do forget we do have responsibility. Um, we even in our prayers we forget we we sometimes talk to God as if we can tell him what to do, and that it's his responsibility and something that he's entrusted to us. Well, it's all about me, isn't it? I mean. Uh, I have a copy of one of a major uh, America's major news magazines. The cover story was called Me, Me, Me. And, uh, I mean, even <laughs> yeah. Frank Sinatra said, I gotta be me. What more, what other can I be but what I am? So, yeah. you know, that's the American mantra, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why I, I don't know. Oftentimes when I communicate, I tell, I tell audiences, you're just not that big of a deal. And, and, and it gets kind of like it shocks them, but. You will have the more big deal that you think you are, the more conflict you'll have. Mm, think mm, about that. Mm, 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 mm. What you're saying is pride go before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Exactly. Why do you think I split a church? I thought I was a big deal. People said, We're not going to worship your big deal because that's not our big deal. So we'll go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and Sounds like moment, you've been I... around the horn a few times, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that moment, I'm like, You know what? I, I'm not a big deal. God's the big deal. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, yeah. And so we, we alter our, our viewpoint. I mean, we have to, we have to come to the plate of, uh, you know, of saying, God, you're, I, I'm here to bring glory to you, not glory to myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you set forth a number of uh, different aspects that I think are worthy of our, our focusing on here. Uh, first of all, you talk about a four step process of peacemaking. And, uh, just so you know, uh, when I was practicing law as a Christian attorney, uh, I was a member of the Christian Legal Society and uh, a couple of other organizations mm-hmm. and uh, were f- was frequently called upon to be a peacemaker or conciliator uh, in a conflict between Christians or Christian organizations. And what I discovered is that it was very difficult to bring peace and resolution even among my fellow believers or Christian organizations and churches. Yeah, and so uh, it, in our process, like this weekend, I helped the family uh, 
begin to, to have conversation again. So parents and adults, children uh, who have obviously the parents, grandchildren, however you want to say that. Um, and I, I will tell you our number one thing that we do before we do the four steps is we have them go through the four steps privately. Mm-hmm. And, and if there's not transformation of the heart, we never put them in a room together. Isn't that now? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have just struck at the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is not procedure. It's the heart. It is. And so we actually do an intake phone call to see if they're, if they're responding to God's word. And, and if they don't, we, we, we're just honest. We're, we say, I don't know that a conversation is going to fix this. You need to go back and spend some t- more time with the Lord. Now there's a whole, there's a whole thing that we do. So I'm, I'm oversimplifying right now, but. But there's a whole thing we do to ask questions. They're, they're not surprised by it. It's all, it's all out there. And then, but in this particular case, they came together and they, they, they tell their story. They listen to each other. They, mm-hmm. They're quick to listen, slow to speak. And then the next moment is we call it ascend, where we go back to our biblical core values, where we embrace those biblical core values. And in other words, you, you embrace God's viewpoint. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Tears began to flow, snot began to run, and they, <laughs> and they, just, they just started embracing okay. and, and talking, and um, it was that transformational moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, now, I, I, to be full and transparent, not every case works out that way because of a hard heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There has to be a will. Uh, you have to have a will to be healed. Uh, Jesus uh approached uh, several of the folk and he said do you want to be healed right so if uh, not everybody really wants to be healed no that is <laughs> in fact some people really like their conflict if they're pet you know they, they got it on the leash and they carry it around everywhere they go yeah um you know i once they... uh, was asked called to go to a hospital room uh where a woman uh i was told had gangrene and was going to lose her feet and uh, would would you please go and pray with this woman? So I did, and I had never encountered gangrene before, but my my nose encountered it first. Yep, uh, it's mm-hmm. a very uh, ugly uh, odor. And uh, as I sat there in the room and talked with the woman, I noticed that her hands were all the most severely gnarled up I had ever seen a human hand, mm. just completely twisted. Mm-hmm. And I I remembered what uh, some doctors have said that oftentimes unforgiveness and bitterness results in severe arthritis. Mm-hmm. So I asked her. I began to ask her. You know, is there somebody? Is there something in your life where you are holding bitterness? Uh, you're you have not forgiven someone, and. All of a sudden, it was like a volcano and outspewed all of this stuff about her sister and how she hated her sister. She would not, could not forgive her sister. I said, look, sister, the re- one of the main reasons why you're all gnarled up like this is very possibly because of your bitterness. The Bible warns about allowing a root of bitterness to dig deep. It'll defile you and everybody else around you. She says, I can't and I won't forgive. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's one of those things where God doesn't give us an option on forgiveness. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's not like, 
um, it's the clause in the contract that says, ah, this is optional. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's, it's mandated. It's a clear command from God, but it's because we oftentimes don't understand forgiveness. We think of forgiveness as validating a bad behavior or right. saying something was okay. Instead, forgiveness is really saying, God, I'm not going to judge this behavior any longer, and I'm going to allow you to be the judge. And mm. Romans 12, 18 says, hey, if possible, live at peace with all men. And the next verse says, leave room for the wrath of God. And, <laughs> and it, it, it really does. It says that. If you read yeah, 19, you're right. You're right. And and the reason is, is because you're saying, my I'm going to be a person of peace, and I'm going to allow God to be the judge, and he can decide if it's unjust or, or, or it was an action of justice. I have forgiven it. I've let it go. I'm no longer holding on to that. Yeah. Okay, uh, forgiveness, you can forgive unilaterally. That is, you can forgive someone else even if they do not reciprocate. Uh, right. But in order for a relationship to be restored and to have more perfect peace, there has to be a reciprocation, doesn't there? Yeah, and that's why we often say this side of heaven. So no one can steal your reconciliation because that's completely uh based upon the cross. All right, we're going to pick up on that. The cross is the issue. We'll be right back after this break. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Well, as our guest Brian Noble said just before the break, uh, we're at a crossroad, and the crossroad is the cross. And uh, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. So he said, I die daily. So there's a sense in which if we really want to be a peacemaker, we have to die to ourselves. Is that it, Brian? Absolutely right. You know, have this attitude in ourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And to take that position of humility and die to our rights, um, I, I, I like to say this. So often we want to follow Christ in his miracles, but we don't want to follow Christ to the cross. And Mm-mm-mm-mm. And it's a fact. We like to see the thread multiplied. We like to see the, the, the lame healed. But the greatest work God ever did, or Jesus ever did, was die on that cross. And, and have that position of humility of, of dying to self and walking in, new, uh, in newness of life by picking up our cross daily is key. Well, that's how the Scripture says he made peace. He made peace with all of us. He made, that is, gave us the opportunity to walk in his peace. He made peace between Jew and Gentile. He made peace between women and men, and we're still fighting it because it was promised and promoted right there in the Garden of Eden that because of sin, women would rise up against their husbands. 
and there would be no peace of the home. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's when we find ourselves like the prodigal son of the pig pen of relationship, right? We've got manure flying everywhere. we got yeah. everything going on. And, and the key is we have to come to our senses as the prodigal dead. Or if you look at First Corinthians 15, we have to come to our senses. And, and it's get back into the, the mind of Christ, right? Get back into his perspective. Exactly. Because none of this is worth dividing over. You know, this, this stuff is, uh, whether it's in our relationships or in our churches around our world, we need to bind together as, as believers in Christ. And it's not just the women that are causing conflict in the home. I mean, the Apostle Paul did say that if we're, if husbands are truly going to be godly husbands, they must, uh, treat their wives uh, as unto Christ, and uh, so uh, there's a both andness in all of this situation. And if we're going to have peace in the home, but I have a question for you, Brian. Yeah, we're living in an age in which men refuse to read. They just refuse to read, mm-hmm. by and large. And yeah. I'm talking about Christian men. Yeah. So how can a Christian husband? sincerely believe that he is a peacemaker in his home when he refuses to read, study, and meditate on the Word of God? Well, I, I think this is where you're going, but I, I, I would firmly agree. Like, uh, I love our digital stuff we have. I love the audible stuff we have, but there's mm-hmm. nothing like cracking open a Bible yeah. and sitting there and, and, uh, and reading the Word of God. Um, unfortunately, I think the church right now is 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 oftentimes um, getting us to read large, large sums of the Word of God, which is mm-hmm. great. But I think if we slow down and really think, what is it saying versus completing a task of reading of something, it will really help us. So if we can teach our men, even if you spend a year in one section of Scripture to to help you until you understand it, asking God to teach you and then move on to the next, I think that's so much more beneficial. So how we read is just as important that we're reading, right? Exactly. In fact, Jesus said, take heed how you hear, and take heed right. what you hear. So exactly. how and what are very, very important. And if God is calling us to be peacemakers, we're going to have to do it from his viewpoint. And we can't just pretend and look for fairy dust or spiritual fairy dust to fly over us and accomplish that which requires our diligence. It does. And I think the other thing that we've thrown out of the church is self, the word self-control. We like to, we like to blame everyone but ourselves. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, how come you keep going control? for the jugular, Brian? <laughs> well, I don't know. This is how God corrects me, I guess. But, you know, when we begin, and we kind of alluded to this, but we sometimes blame God, but it's really our responsibility. I had a I had a young a young man in here and he was dealing with things that young men deal with and he said God will you just take away my impure eyes and I looked at him and I said can I can I be frank with you and he said sure and I said um, your eyes are your responsibility <laughs> and he said what and I said your eyes are your responsibility in other words God has given you a steward over your eyes said, but wait a minute that? there are those in the church who are saying God is so sovereign that he controls your eyes too. <laughs> well, we can debate that later. <laughs> but Job says, I make a covenant with my eyes. He says not to look on a, a, a woman with lust. He took responsibility over his eyes and where he set his eyes. So a man that's um, involved in pornography 
which includes about 70% of professing Christian men and 30% of the pastors, cannot possibly claim with integrity to be a peacemaker in his home. I don't know. I, I mean, at least in that area of sexuality with our spouse, with our wife, uh, it, it is it is a hard claim to make that, because if we want to have peace, we have to live life God's way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and His way is one man, one woman, coming together through the institution of marriage, through a marriage covenant, and saying yes to each other, and that is the expression of our, our sexuality. Yet we've brought uh, prostitutes, whether it's digital or whether it's, you know, for reals, we've brought them into the bedroom, and we have to be so careful. If we want to be peacemakers in our home, we can't indulge the flesh in one moment and then go out and say, well, I want to have nice conversations with my spouse. It doesn't work that way. Um, so really, this this business about being a peacemaker is so broad in its implications and application that it leads us to really reconsider our entire lives. It does, because when you think about why do we have that disagreement? Well, you just indulge the flesh, and quite frankly, it could be the flesh of football, the flesh of pornography, the flesh of whatever. You just indulge the flesh, someone interrupted your indulgement, and now you're having an argument over here, but now you're trying to get counseling for the argument. They all play <laughs> together. Oh, boy. Can you imagine what God as a father has to put up with us? <laughs> and, yet, and yet he still says, I love you, and I died for you, and yeah. I, I, I care about you. And, and I'm, He, I'm he says, I love you, but he doesn't say, I like you. <laughs> 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 I made you in my image, but you don't look much like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us a little bit more about your book. Uh, and how how you put it together? Yeah, so I really started thinking about if I if I was working with people, what is the discipleship model that we need to have to have peacemaking on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. And a lot of my writing comes from our identity in Christ. That if we get the identity right of who we are in Jesus Christ, whose we are, who we are, um, then we'll get what we're supposed to do correct, right? So that foundation of whose we are, who we are is so important. So I wrote it from that perspective mm-hmm. on a daily basis of discipleship um, and, and to really understand that the attributes of, of who God is and what he's doing in our hearts and our minds is so important. Absolutely. So what I see here is uh, what you have written for each day is something to trigger for the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to trigger the proper thoughts, responses, even conviction, repentance, uh, obedience, whatever it's in, in order to bring peace in our own lives and peace in, among those around us. That's exactly right. Because if we can work on a daily basis versus at the crisis moment, we're going to have a much better quote unquote success rate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The worst time to learn about conflict is is when you're in it, and I'll tell you why. When you get last time you got pulled over, did you really listen to what the police officer had to say? I don't think so. You know, you you were just trying to get out of the situation. <laughs> and so, the best time and and I I try to tell people the best time to learn about conflict is before there is conflict. All right. So what you're uh, saying is it's, it's easier and better to preserve peace than to make peace. It is. It really is mm-hmm. because we can, and we don't have to. And this is where with Christians, I think sometimes we spiritualize 
uh, peacemaking to peace faking. Well, I'll just fake it until I make it. <laughs> peace faking. I love that. That That's exactly <laughs> what happens. It's a pretense of the real deal. Right. And we see it in churches where, the, you know, they peace fake with their pastor for 12 years. Then they can't take it anymore. So then they're trying to fire him. And the, and the pastor's like, I don't I don't know what I did. I Where'd this come from? Lost. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And um, and the reality is, is we faked peace for so long. And I, what I've learned about God and through His Word and just just walking with Him is that He makes baby corrections, little corrections, as I go. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if God just dropped all of His righteousness on us all at once and said, "Okay, live up, live up to this"? No, He makes little corrections as we go. He prompts us. He molds us. He shapes us. And and that's how we need to interact with each other. And instead of saying, "Well, I, I'm I'm going to not." When David said, judge me according to my integrity, uh, that involved whether or not he was living according with the ways and the will of the Prince of Peace. And Mm -hmm. if we're not living according to the word, the will, and the ways of the Prince of Peace, it's hard for us to really, with a straight face, claim to be a peacemaker, isn't it? It is. And, and, you know, in that same prayer, he said, you know, you desire truth in the innermost being. And I think we need to begin to be honest. I, I'll just say it first. Person. I need to begin to be honest with myself mm-hmm. and begin to evaluate myself. David is just, just such a beautiful example of the fact that he was honest with himself. He knew that his sin was against God. And sometimes what we do is when we when we sin against our spouse, we don't think of it as sin against God, or sin against our children, or sin against whoever around us. Mm-hmm. We we just think of it at that level. But when we're truthful, every time we break relationship, it breaks the heart of God. It, because He created us to be part of His family, and mm-hmm. and God doesn't want family conflict. Right. Um, he doesn't want us to to have that broken relationship. And it certainly doesn't present a very good witness to the body of Christ or or anybody else. All right, you mentioned truth. And I'm so glad that you brought this up, because just before the program, I was thinking about the relationship between our pursuit of truth or the lack thereof and our ability to achieve peace. Right now, uh, we have approximately 2,200 denominations in this country, yeah. Christian denominations, and about tw- over 20,000 worldwide. Mm-hmm. Obviously, peace is not reigning among God's people. Let's talk about that because it has everything to do with our love of the truth. We'll be right back, friends. Get a copy of this wonderful book, Daily Wisdom for Peacemaking. It is such a beautiful book, uh, so wonderfully put together. You'll be delighted to have it. $16 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. 
But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Wow. Then how is it that we have 20 plus thousand denominations worldwide and 2,200 or so in our country alone? And that doesn't even include the non-denominational folk out there. We're as divided as the, as the world is divided, it seems, and it's all over the issue of truth. How can we have peace with one another if we don't have peace with God in agreeing on his word? That's a tall one, isn't it, Brian? It is, and I, I wish I had the answer to that because I could write a book <laughs> on how to fix it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it is a tall one, and it, it, it's even in the local congregations that if you break those numbers down to each congregation that has, I mean, we, we stay plenty busy, busy at Peacemakers, helping congregations get along. And um, it's amazing what things people can divide over. Um, Mm. It really is. Um, Well, we can divide over specific words in the Word of God. Jesus said, I hate divorce. We say, yes, but. That that immediately divides us, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And and we we argue about them. And then we say, well, then I'll just go start my own. Uh, church, or I'll <laughs> and then we have people that are doing what uh, we call in the in the legal profession forum shoppers, who will look around for a church or a pastor or some Bible teacher or something to tell them what they want to hear. They're not interested yeah, in the a, truth that binds us together in peace. Yeah, it's all it's all predicted in Scripture, and and so you know there's two, there's a tension there, isn't it? Because we. We have both Paul predicting it and Timothy about wanting their ears tickled. Mm-hmm. We have Jesus talking about uh, you know, the lawlessness, love grows cold kind of thing. You know, right. we, we, we have all those predictions of the season that we're living in, and we're swimming upstream a little bit uh, as we go. That's where it comes back to the individual responsibility to live at peace with each other. And if every uh, Christian began to do that... Um, it would begin to change the culture of the church. No question about it, and that would change the culture of the world. Uh, Relational injustice. We have everybody uh, yelling and screaming out there. One of the famous phrases, no justice, no peace. What Mm -hmm. I see is no peace because you keep crying for justice and don't want to accept responsibility. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say that on when you think about justice and peace, we have to ask whose justice is it? Um, is it is it my justice, your justice, God's justice, man's justice, United mm-hmm. States justice? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whose justice is it is very important because I, I think there's a lot of people who want to uh, duplicate or replicate or uh, impersonate God's justice, mm-hmm. but God is a hundred percent just. He knows the the plans and the intentions of a man's heart or woman's heart, and he begins to, uh, he, he's the only one that will bring justice. In, in other words, he doesn't just know that there's an inordinate number of black men in America's prisons, but he also knows why they're there, and that is largely because of unwed pregnancy and uh, childbirth 
and uh, because of fatherlessness in the black community. He knows that, too. Yeah, he knows both the, the intentions and motives of the heart. And, and what is driving those statistics that we pull, you know, that we pull out here and there? And, and, and the fact is, is that when we redefine justice, I, I had a conversation with a young man at our church just the other day, and I said, I, I would just caution you that any time you add a secondary word to an attribute of God, you may have formed another God. Um, Whoa. And, Give us an illustration. So, for instance, if, if I say social justice, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've added a secondary word to justice. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's almost as if, but God is 100% just, and he would have both social justice, economic justice. He, would, he has all the justices, you know, every, every aspect, legal justice, uh, you know, um, uh, family justice. I mean, every other spiritual word. Justice, have, right. Spiritual justice, right. Good point. Things. So when we, when we add an attribute to God, um, we, we need to be very careful because it downplays the overall attribute of God. And it also um, is increasing the lack of peace in the society. In the, per, in, the like, in the ostensible pursuit of peace, it's creating discontent. It is. And so that's why, like, if you were to say, what's another attribute of God? If you would say love, let's take the opposite. Okay, that's an attribute of God. Well, then if we, just, if we add any other word before that, we've now diminished. God's abundant love. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we have to be careful of that. Exactly. Um, and then that removes peace from our life because now we don't have, you know, whatever attribute of God it is. All right. So Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. What is a peacemaker anyway? I mean, you, you have a ministry, peacemaking ministry. Tell us uh, very quickly about that. Yeah, so I would define peacemaking in in the simplest term from Ephesians four fifteen, where it says, "Speaking the truth in love." Mm-hmm. I think it, I think peacemaking is a balance of truth, a hundred percent truth, a hundred percent love is the ultimate peacemaker. And and um, in other words, you and, if you say you love, but you're not really pursuing truth, true truth, then you're actually pretending to love. Yeah. And think about this. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who turned over the table. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who said, you brood of vipers. Jesus is the <laughs> Prince of Peace. Who... So, so when we think about those things, he never set down his Prince of Peace. He didn't become the Prince of something else in those moments. Right. He, he didn't relinquish an act, a part of the Holy Spirit in those moments. So in uh, other words, Jesus was not schizophrenic, and neither is the Father. Exactly. Or multiple personality. Exactly. So there's a way to be direct, honest, and 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 upfront, and truthful. And there's a way to be palatable. And and God, through you know Jesus Christ, was the prime example example of that. And that's what we we are empowered to do because the Prince of Peace dwells inside of us. So, the concept of gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, isn't necessarily an accurate description of the Jesus of the Bible, who is the peacemaker. Yeah, I mean, he had moments of kind, gentle, sweet, and mild, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that usually was with the sinner, quite frankly. With the religious people, he wasn't quite that way. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, you know, th- those are right. both compo- you know, components of that. And exactly. He does, he does woo us to, to the Father. Um, but if we're his children and we're disobedient, he, he treats us, uh, he corrects us because he loves us. Well, God calls every one of us to be a peacemaker. And he says, you'll be blessed if you're a peacemaker, 
and you'll be called a child of God. So if we're not involved in peacemaking in a real sense, not a pretend sense, but in a real sense, given all the things we've been talking about, we have to question whether we're really a child of God, don't we? Yeah, and in and, and John, First uh, John, uh, the book of First John, he makes that ex- exact argument, but takes it uh, one step for- further. He says, if you don't love your brother, you're a child of, of the devil. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, and we don't talk that way anymore. You know, we don't we don't talk about hatred or bitterness like we said before, stored up in the heart. Um, but the the fact is, God calls us to be reconciled with each other and to be reconciled with Him, mm-hmm. and that we need to practice righteousness. And and that's that practicing of righteousness, not not works, but practicing the right things God's called us to do. That we um, that we are children of God. And First John is a beautiful you know, chapters one, two, and three is a beautiful thing to read yes. and see how, how John lays that out. And he bit his, 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 uh, catchphrase at the very end. And so you must, uh, love your brother. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a powerful study. Well, it, there's no question about it. He also says, this is the love of God that you keep his commandments and they're not grievous. So this, this <laughs> loving John is a pretty tough guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, he's one of the disciples that, you know, we, we kind of paint as uh, meek and mild and, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he's very direct uh, when you read his writings and, and you slow down and take it word by word. Um, I, I don't know when it's the last time that you told someone that they're they're a child of the devil or, you know, I, I, don't, I haven't done that. Uh, <laughs> You'd be called judgmental to the max if you said that. <laughs> but, but it's right here, you know, let, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices mm. righteousness is righteous just as God is. The one who practices lawlessness is of the devil, you know, um, is the child of the devil. And um, Well, I have a question for you. Yeah. Does peace demand compromise? Well, not at the sake of truth. Um, well spoken, does. well spoken, because it's only the pursuit of truth that brings ultimate peace, isn't it? Otherwise, it's just a pretense. Yeah. What I think we've done in our society, though, is that we've elevated our preferences above truth, mm-hmm. and, we, and we've made our preferences the truth uh, instead of my preference. And so, so compromising on your preferences, no problem. Com- com- compromising on truth, that's a problem. You know, you've been around a while. You've got a lot of wisdom, my brother. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've been around or I... You know, I've hung out with people like you, and you guys have invested in my life. Um, but, uh... <laughs> you, you and I could have a, a two- or three-hour conversation, I think, because we're not oh, even getting into very many anecdotes here uh, in people's lives where we have encountered uh, situations where uh, peace has been elusive because uh, people just were not willing to be at peace with God. While claiming to be Christians, they were not at peace with God. Uh, I, I remember a situation a while back where uh, a man was engaged in, I mean, if, if you talk to him, he talked Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, he was engaged in the most energetic worship in his congregation, and yet he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. and ultimately destroyed his family. 
So while he purported to be at peace with God, he really wasn't, and he was creating havoc in his home. Yeah. It's hard for us to reconcile these things, isn't it? It is. And, I mean, I don't know if you know my testimony, but at a young age I started drinking, and I had an alcohol problem for a lot of years. And and for whatever reason, God took that craving from me at, at, you know, 19. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I, I, I have compassion for those who have who have those things. I think one of the things that I've learned throughout life is that in in my places of failure, it's usually when I'm dancing with them instead of wrestling with them. Mm. And 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 um I think as a society we have said it's okay to dance with your sin. And we even justify it. We we in the Christian community, it's okay, we're all sinners, God loves you. Mm-hmm. And we say these kind of phrases that validate sin instead of saying, you know what? God does love you, and he did die for you. Now knock it off. Don't do that again. Yeah. In other words, confess and repent. Yeah. Isn't that the message of the Scripture from beginning to end? It is. It it is a change of... And and we may have to put some some, uh, self-control or some willpower into that a little bit. You know, I mean, Mm. um, it's not not to save us, but it it is, uh, if you look at the Proverbs, he says, don't go on the street of the... Proverbs 7, don't go on the street of the the uh the woman you know and mm-hmm. he says don't go there uh the fact is we shouldn't go there right and and uh that's our responsibility to do that brother you have uh we've cut across an awful lot here as we've chatted here today very openly and frankly and your book uh daily wisdom for peacemaking i think will be encouraging to a lot of people people are experience a great deal of lack of peace. And uh, Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. But the unfortunate thing is we have succumbed uh, too much to the ways of the world, and therefore we're really not at peace. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Brian, but if I'm not at peace with God on a daily basis, uh I'm not at peace. <laughs> I'm just not at peace. And so right. this this is a hope-filled book for people. And friends, it is so beautiful. You're going to be delighted to, to get your copy. Uh, a 365-day devotional daily wisdom for peacemaking, becoming a peacemaker. Uh, $16 will put this beautiful, beautiful book in your hands. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Let's become a peacemaker. And remember, as Brian and I have been talking about this, well, the, the fingers point right back at us. We need to become a peacemaker. God bless you as you become a peacemaker. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.